Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for the rain that nourishes this earth, that nourishes our bodies. We thank you for this church and all the churches that preach your gospel, that we can come and spiritually be renewed and to spread that good news that you give us to others. But Father, we just, uh, you heard a lot of concerns from the tables, from the individuals. We know that you're aware of each and every one of them, and we pray, Father, that you will address them, give them comfort, and give them the fortitude to press on. Press on towards that goal that through it all, it's to be with you. Father, just bless this time we have now together to discuss your word and to learn of your word. Be with those who are traveling. We thank you for this special day uh, and this weekend where we honor those who have gone before us. And Father, just be with our military also and uh, those that are just putting their lives on the line, the police officers, the firemen, and so forth, and just protect them. Father, we praise you, we love you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, lock the doors. <laughs> Nobody can leave. There we were uh, sitting in uh, Scottsdale Airport, getting ready to leave, and I get this call from Becky, and she says, you know, if I call, I want something. And I says, okay. And she said, Cliff had an opportunity to go to a sort of family reunion. And Chris, is, who normally is a substitute, is gone, so would you be uh, able to fill in? And this is on Friday morning, something like that. And I says, sure. Now she says, all this is subject to change. <laughs> because I have not checked with Cliff. And I shouldn't say this because Cliff will it. And Cliff still thinks he's in charge. <laughs> so he, when I tell him this, he may have another plan in mind since he won't be here. And I said, okay. Not a problem at all because, again, I'm sitting in Scottsdale or Phoenix, Arizona, you know, and I wasn't going to get in until early Saturday morning. So I said, fine. I said, just call me back and let me know. And she said she would. Now, I, I have not heard from Becky or Cliff. <laughs> so one of two things has happened. Either Cliff said, okay, or... When he said that I would be following and filling in for him, he stroked out <laughs> and collapsed, and they haven't got a, revived him to get an answer back. <laughs> but I haven't heard, so I'm sorry to say that you're stuck with me for today. You know, and, and it's really hard being a. I'm on the sub. I substitute for other teachers, and it's really hard being a substitute. Because there's so many great teachers. I would rather follow the Pope than follow Cliff Sanders. <laughs> it's that bad. But you know, following Steve Seaton, you know. I usually I usually follow Flick. Now, now you talk about a big difference. You know. I can never understand how Flick can experience all the things he does in his life. And he's hardly, what, 30 years old or something like that? 
you know, I just don't understand how he does that. I mean, he must have an active life. And then I come in and follow in, usually behind the, uh, is it a singular class that you're doing? Now I do the others too. But so, but anyway, we're, we are so blessed. And I'm, I feel honored to be standing on stage at Steve Seaton stands on and Dr. Sanders stands on and Terry Fakes, Deidre, and all that. So anyway, just bear with me, you know, because I'm not going to be talking about the same things that Cliff is. And that could be good. It could be bad, you know, because he has all these voices in his head <laughs> constantly talking to him, you know, and, he, and he's talking pretty soon. He says, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> but if this is your first time, please do not judge whether or not you'll be back next Sunday based upon today. All right, come and, and, and uh, enjoy Cliff. I love Cliff to death. He just, uh, I want to hear everything he has to say. Yeah, I really do. He's great. What I thought I would do is, you know, he's been talking about conversations with Jesus. And, you know, so many times we forget. We get wrapped up in so much church doctrine, and I'll talk more about that after a while. We get, talk, we get so wrapped up on church doctrine that many times we forget to really realize what did Jesus say? And even more so, what did Jesus not say? And many times we just go ahead and, and through church doctrine many times and, and through Christians, theologians and so forth, we try to say, well, this is obviously this way and this is obviously that way. And so therefore, one of the things they've been fighting since the beginning of time is what is really the truth and how do we get away from preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ? Because there's so many things. And that's what Paul was doing when he was uh, uh, writing to the church at Colossians. He, he, you know, he, and, and uh, excuse me one second here. Um, and, and there's no doubt that Paul did the writing to the church of Colossians. If you read through the scripture and through that epistle, you know, it starts out chapter 1 to 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he, and then he, you know, and he clue, concludes in chapter 4, verse 18, that he was writing this in his own hand. So there's no doubt. There are some books, you know, they question exactly who really was the author. But with Colossians, there's, there's, there's no doubt. You know, like in Ephesians, he was, uh, and some of the others, he was probably in prison when he wrote this, around 62, 63 A.D. And the Church of Colossians also considered the, one of the prison epistles. And, you know, uh, Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon are the other two. But Paul's purpose in writing is some of the same things we're dealing with today. And then he is writing to address the false teachings that, uh, that's in the church. And so many of those false teachings try to supplement what the gospel is. But the theme of the letter centers around the supreme being of Christ. And that's what Colossians is all about, the supreme being of Christ. And only Christ was sufficient for the total Christianity in life. 
and is worthy of our worthy and praise, uh, worthy and praise. And that and that's what he was trying to say. Paul was trying to say, "Listen, you got this good stuff. Why are you looking for something else?" And I'll be bringing this up from time to time. So many times we can say that today. We have good stuff. Why do we try to look for something else to take place that's already good? But Colossians is a, uh, just a very brief letter, but it's one of the most significant epistles that Paul ever wrote. And no other epistle is as Christ-centered as the church to Colossians. No other one. Because he really had to drive home the point that Jesus Christ is the center of our life. But Christianity has faced one of the most severe challenges, and, and many of these cha challenges we still have today. Very complex. There, and it uh, was also uh, complex back in this time when he wrote this because of what was going on in the ancient Kalash, the, the intellectual climate. And one of the common things about all the early apostles fought was people trying to water down the message of Christ. If you read all the, the epistles all the way through, the apostles were fighting and the writers were fighting this. There are always people coming in and saying, what you believe is wrong. What, I don't know why you believe the way you do. I have a, um, an acquaintance, I have to call him, I used to work with him, I guess. I don't <laughs> hate to say this, but I don't remember him, but he remembered me. Uh, uh, years ago, he's an atheist. And he said, one of the first things that when you talk to these people, they say, I don't understand how you can believe in a God. I don't understand how you can believe in Jesus Christ. I don't understand any of this. And I says, well, how can you believe not? You know, and in fact, I find out many times that the atheists know more about God than I do. Isn't that something? Many times, because they know why they don't want to believe, but because they know why they don't want to believe, they know why there is a God. But uh, the Church of Colossus had a, uh, it was a city with a large and cosmopolitan population. It included many Jewish settlers, along with Roman uh, army veterans, people that uh, were served with the army and, and for Rome and stayed. And for what we know about the epistle, both the Jews and the Gentiles lived there and became a part of the church. Now, it was not a church that Paul started. He did not start this church. But he felt such a kinship to the gospel and to the people of Jesus Christ and to the effort that was put in to spread the gospel that he wanted to address it and become a part and the thing when you have so, so many people uh, in a church, everybody wants to bring in their old philosophies, their old theological differences. And they want to bring their own ideas. They want to bring in their own practices. And that's what I find amazing, and I don't, make, I don't really mean to make this, to make this a, 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 an advertisement for crossings. But the thing I tell about crossings that I like about this church, and I've been in many other denominations, the thing I like about this church, 
We literally have every denomination, fellowship, religion represented in this church. And we get along. God forbid. We get along. And that's the beauty of this place. It doesn't make there's your Baptist, Lutheran, and so forth. And the thing that I like about it, there's also the Mormons, the people who have been Mormons, people who have been of the Jewish faith, and now recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. We have Muslims who accepted Christ as the risen God. And we can all gather under one roof and worship God and praise God and do God's work. And I think that's just awesome. And that's what he was fighting, you know, because, again, Klaus, because there's so many different uh, opinions, they came in and they, uh, they, they, they wanted to bring their um, past with them. You know, we, Pat and I were just in uh, Phoenix, as I said, in Arizona. And I remember Arizona, you know, people used to go to Arizona for the clean air. Remember that? I don't know. I, I, I still remember one night, uh, you know, I, many of you may or may not know, I worked for the FAA for 35 years or whatever it was. And, and I was flying home to Honolulu and, and, uh, when I lived there. And I, we flew over Phoenix. And to see the haze and smog just absolutely blew me away. Because I had always had the people said, I've got to go to Phoenix because I have DB and the clear air and so forth. And we get there. You know what they did, though? They bring all their old plants. They brought all their old things from wherever, Ohio maybe, and planted them. And pretty soon we got the same thing that they left. And that's what was going on here so many times. And we do that so many times in churches. I, had a, I, I shouldn't say this in here, but it's just us, right? Uh, I, I, I had a person here when I was on staff, uh, the pastoral staff, and uh, speaking to a couple ladies, and they said, this one lady says, I, just, I like crossings, but I just wish it was more Baptist. <laughs> Give me a break. I wish it was more Baptist. And, you know, <laughs> I didn't say this, but I will admit to with whom my mind says, well, you know, we have some wonderful Baptist churches within 50-mile radius here. <laughs> wonderful Baptist church, if that's what you want. But, you know, I just, it really struck me that people went to Arizona. They brought their plants and things that they were allergic to in their other, other locations. And so they could sniff the same pollen, you know. And then we do the same thing with our churches, we bring our, our past our in so that we can just kind of rebuild the thing that we left. And you just wonder why. But, you know, they, one thing that's going on and, and we're still going on today is the Gnostics. And you'll read this throughout all of the New Testament especially. You know, it comes from the Greek word uh, knowledge. And I hate to, you know... <laughs> Cliff is so good on, on, on this Greek stuff, you know, and Greek to me is Greek. Uh, but anyway, it, it's, it comes out of the Greek word gnosis, you know. But they always claim to have a special secret knowledge that the Christians didn't have. Don't we find that same thing today? We have people that think they have the knowledge 
that we don't have, especially in the Christian area. They rejected incarnation because, you know, to the Gnostics, to the people in the know, the philosophers and so forth, there's no way that God would leave that heavenly place and come down and step into a man's world. And there's also that he was fighting as a Jewish faction that was stressing the need for observing the Old Testament laws and covenants. And we still deal with that today. You know, what you should eat, what you should drink. You can only travel so many miles. You know, it's the 613 or 631 laws that the Jewish people had. They wanted to bring some of those in because they feel comfortable with that. So this is what Paul wanted, Paul wanted to address in his letter. These types of things that were allowing to creep in to water down the gospel of Jesus Christ. So basically the purpose they seem to have in, um, uh, I don't want to be a cliff and go over here. Too. Um, the purpose they seem to have uh, been in Paul's mind when he wrote this is, first of all, he wanted to show the deity and the supremacy of Christ in the face of all this heresy that was going on. And you read that uh, there in chapter 1, verses 18, uh, in or verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 9. Second, he wanted to lead believers into a spiritual maturity and the ministry of the church. Forget what we've been doing in the past, but let's concentrate on ourselves to grow spiritually. And he spoke with that in uh, uh, chapter 124, uh, verse 24, and also verses two, uh, chapter 2, verses 7. And third, I think he wanted to do the warning about false spirituality. Again, about all these things coming in from the outside that's trying to water, saying it's okay. And we still hear that today. In fact, let me get back in my goodie pile here. There's a little thing I want to read. You know, the thing, and, and, and that's something we do have to watch. As we, as our world says, it's uh, okay to do certain things lawfully. But it may not be lawfully when you look at Christ and Christ's law. It may be. And uh, there, there's an author unknown, and a gentleman gave us, he says, what one generation excuses in moderation, the next generation excuses in excess. And that, you know, to me that is so true. So many things, you know, that creep in almost unnoticed almost unnoticed, and we say, well, that's okay. It's okay to do certain things, even though it might be, again, God's word. And the things we allow today, we're definitely not going to pay attention to years down the road. He also wanted to address uh, Paul in, uh, in, the, in chapter 3, verse 5, and chapter 4, verse 6. The fact that we all need to live ethically and you know that is one of the most important parts and I'll be dressing on this a little bit later we are all not called like these wonderful people to go to a different country we are all not called to do everything to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ but we all do have assignments each and every one of them. Paul talks about this in, uh, in the church at Corinth. We all are assigned. And he says, all you have to do is assign, do the things you're assigned. 
And, uh, and, I, and I can relate that to my, I heard, I heard that twice. When I retired off of staff and somebody's son came in, I didn't realize I was praying for him to get a job. Mine. <laughs> He's doing a wonderful job. I love him to death. But, you know, when I left, you know, uh, I was pastor of congregational care. And uh, Marty, we still do a, a service, and, and uh, Lance had not reported yet. And so Marty says, hey, he's going to continue doing this after you retire? And I said, oh, Marty, no. I'm going, I need to get away from the funerals and the sick people and things of this sort. You know, I said, I don't think I'm going to do that. So I retire, and I am just like a dog on long tail cat in a room full of rocking chairs, you know, trying to figure out what to do and, and so forth. And then one day, I don't know why Pat and I don't normally have him on, but uh, uh, Charles Stanley was on, and he was talking and said, you should do the job you're assigned to do. And then through devotion, so I was reading the, uh, the, uh, the Corinthians, says, you should do what's assigned that's all what's expected. I says, okay, Lord, I heard you. I heard you. So I'm back, you know, working with funerals and visiting people and doing all the things I wanted to get away from. But I have to admit, that's the job I'm assigned to do. Work with the sick. I get telephone calls from people who are going through difficult times. You know, and, and again, I do, I, I, I help with one of the local funeral homes, you know, services and, and here if they ask. And it's not the job I would choose for myself. I want to be like, y'all remember George Scramstead? I always said, I want to be George Scramstead. That would be the biggest disaster you one could ever think about. I mean, I love music. I can't play the radio anymore because it got too, the technology has gone way beyond me. You know, I can't remember that. But I love music. And I would see George up there pounding that piano. And I already said, when I get to heaven, the first thing after I greet the man, I want to go over and get the biggest grand piano and I'm going to be able to play it. That's what I want to do. But I, I see George, you know, and, and I had the wonderful opportunity to work with George for four years on staff and you know and, and you went to that man and whatever you needed he was there such a gracious gracious individual I want to be like George but God didn't assign me that job I'm not assigned to do music now you know if I'm by myself I can sing a pretty good tune that's about it though I mean that's stretching it and I ever, once in a while, I even asked Pat. I says, hey, you'll be seen too? She says, no. <laughs> and she doesn't hesitate. She says no right away, you know. So that's not my science. So you, I think it's something that what God was saying, we, or what, even what Paul was saying. We need to live a good, clean life, living the job that's been assigned to us. And that does not necessarily mean anything else but you know, getting up in the choir like some people do and do a beautiful job. Also, uh, Paul wanted to inform them about the state of affairs and he was asking, you know, what he's what going on and, and, and Paul then also asked through this letter, hey, we need prayer. You know, and that's one thing that we have about this class and there's other classes do it too. 
we have an opportunity to share what's going on in our lives. We have an opportunity to fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. But one of the keys is we have that opportunity to pray with one another. And that is so powerful. And I think Paul realized that probably more than any of us. He wanted us to pray for him on his behalf. And we know that as Paul looked at the whole situation he was dealing with, you know, he's, he was able to tolerate diversity of opinion, but he fiercely resisted any teachings that denied that Christ is not being the only Savior and Lord of the church. So it's okay to express opinions. Uh, you know, I also deal with the Living Faith Ministry, which is a prison ministry, and uh, on the board of directors there. And one of the things when you talk to people in prison, you know, it's this, you know, uh, fact, I started to say the Muslim religion is growing within the prisons. But what I have found out with a gentleman I'm dealing, uh, working with up in uh, Helena is Satanism is growing as well. You know, and I just get, I, I got chills right now. I just think about that. And he noticed that when people, the new people came in, the Satan people were going up to this newie and saying, hey, you know, come and join our fellowship and so forth. He said, that, you know, when he approached and he uh, went into uh, James Crabtree, no one approached him. But again, here was a door that he saw that he could walk through. He says, I'm going to start greeting the people they come in and welcome them into the Christian fellowship. You know, and that's something every one of us need to do. We need to be sure there's no barriers that prevents anyone from approaching us and saying, come in to the Christian fellowship. Come in and see what I have. Again, I'll get a little bit more uh, a little bit later. But the thing that we have going against us as Christians, peers, is that we can't agree. Most of our fights are amongst, our, are amongst ourselves. I'm going to fight because of the Methodists. I'm going to fight because of Lutheran. I'm going to fight because of this or that within the Protestant religion. As one guy said, you know, you Protestants cannot agree on anything. And what a terrible thing to say. And especially when it's probably true. You know, so many times we're so busy fighting and not realizing that we have an anchor, and that anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of our church. So how are we, you know, we, I want to get a little bit more into the application of what we want to talk about here, and we'll quit. But today, many of us as Christians are so eager to fulfill the Christian experience. And we see, you know, I think every one of us has that desire to want to be the best Christian that we know how to be. I think we all want to live that life, and I have no doubt in my mind that we do it honestly and we do it openly. But Christians do it through all different manners. Through a static experience, high emotion. Uh, sometimes it's, the, you know, 
this is what the Bible says. I work with a guy who says, I want to live how the Bible says. I says, you mean how you interpret the Bible to say. But so many times we've locked into ourselves what the Bible says to us that we're not going to waver one bit because this is what it says. And your interpretation is wrong and mine is right. And also that the, we want to do it through discipline. And we do this by so, so many times by observing certain rites. You know, if someone doesn't have the feet washing service, if someone does not speak in tongues, if someone uh, works with, uh, glorifies the Holy Spirit more. So I don't want anything to do with them. And so we, we, we look at through how we're going to discipline ourselves, how we're going to, what we're going to eat, places we're going to go. You know, this one, lady, one guy, uh, one lady, it was a guy who said, you know, I don't believe in going to movies. I wait till the DVD comes out. <laughs> but that is so true. I, I remember as a, as a youngster, you know, going home from this, I can say it because it's church, church, church of God people, you know, and they didn't believe in movies. And they drove up to drop me off the house and said, oh, no one's here. I said, oh, yeah, they must have gone to a movie. You would have thought... There's a ter- I, I, I can't use the term I was on my mind right now. But you would have thought that I, I just committed the biggest sin in the world because my parents went to a movie, you know? But we, we, we lock ourselves into that. But every one of us want to be fulfilled immediately. We're a fast food culture. We should always believe, though, regardless when we apply what Paul's trying to say, we should always believe that Jesus is the center of our believer's spiritual life. And then the hard part, though, is to wait patiently, patiently. I have a hard time with that. But patiently for it to occur. If we don't get a transformation within five seconds or five minutes, oh, let's go to something else. Reminds me that I work for the FAA. You know, they want to try a whole new managerial concept. And by golly, if it didn't produce results in three months, they want to go to something else. Give me a break. You know, sometimes it it takes a lot of patience. But true spirituality simply means means simply to meet the common events of our life with that servant attitude lived out by Jesus before us. We need to apply that. We are the hands the arms and the legs of Jesus Christ during this time on earth as we walk through. We need to let people know that. We need to demonstrate that. But Christianity is a fellowship with God. You know, it's not a religion. It's a fellowship. And we should be careful not to make it more than it is. And it is to enjoy the relationship Enjoy our relationship. Enjoy your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we show that we're enjoying it, then other people will want what we have. But I see, every now and then you have somebody who says, oh, I'm so happy in the Lord. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm so happy in the Lord. 
Who in the world would want to have that, you know? But Wanda, is, it's okay to be happy. It's okay to laugh. Yes, Gary. I don't know if you all heard that, you know, basically the legalism and so forth we put in church. And we're a part of that, by the way, folks. And Gary, or uh, uh, Cliff says this every now and then, you know. Are, are we really representing the church as we should? But I have said many times in a couple of Bible studies that I'm involved with, many times we Christians run off more people than we bring in because of our attitudes. Because, you know, who said that? I like, oh, Tiny! That's my, that's my, that's my brother. That's all right. Hey, Tiny. I thought I heard your voice, but I didn't see you, and I, I, I find that hard to believe, you know. No, but, but he's, he's right. We as Christians run off many times more people than we bring in because of our attitude, our holier-than-thou stance that we take, and so forth. And I think we need to be very careful of that. You know, as we're talking about the different uh, varieties but a scripture that's become very, very meaningful for me is Luke chapter 10, verse 26 and 29. And to me is one of the cornerstones of our religious relationship. And the story, you know, the lawyer uh, <clears throat> goes to Jesus to put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And, and uh, the lawyer answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said to him, you, will have, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And to me, that's one of the cornerstones. You know, before we can bring anyone to Christ, we must first love Jesus Christ with our all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. If we get that embedded into us at that particular point in time, everything else will fall into place as it should. But we first got to remember that if we do not love the Lord Jesus Christ with all our whole all of our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbors ourselves, and we do not demonstrate it daily, then we are not doing the job that I think Christ put us to do. We are all here again to bring out Christ to others and see Christ live through us. Pray with me. Father, just thank you so much for this time. I thank you for these people who are willing to come out and to just learn of your word. And Father, we just pray that uh, this seed has been uh, planted in all of us. We may go forth and just to proclaim your kingdom, proclaim your gospel, and to stand firm and fast in our love for you. Father, just be with uh, Cliff and Becky as they're traveling. And again, we just thank you so much for this rain that nourishes us. Father, we praise you. We love you. We ask all of this in the name of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, folks. Appreciate you.